0: Civilization has never been easy to build, empires even harder. It took Sigmar, the first son of Umbagon, to take the early tribes of man and form them into the fledglings of an empire. However, Sigmar's reign could not last forever. Once Sigmar strode off into the wild, the tribes fractured. And the city-states of the empire emerged, beset on all sides by chaos, orcs and goblins, and the horrors of the world. These states formed militia and state troops to drive against the encroaching hordes. With shield, sword, and cannon, the empire grew into a mighty force. And yet at no point has the empire never not been surrounded by enemies on all sides. Empire is an amazing faction to do an army overview for. When we go through this, I think it's fair to say that many of you will be, I guess, underwhelmed in some elements by the Empire roster. There aren't a lot of special army rules that are tacked on to these units. However, the units themselves are Very honest, a cannon's a cannon, a knight's a knight. However, with access to loads of different magic and also priestly prayers, as well as some very unique roster units, such as Flagellants, Steam Tanks, and Demigryph Knights. The Empire roster may seem like the standard, but if this is the standard, the standard is excellent. If you do like these videos or anything you see in these videos, please do leave comments. I've been reading through all of the comments on all of the other videos, and they've been amazing. I really appreciate them, and thank you to everyone on the Squarebase Patreon, where we've got a really healthy and awesome Discord community, talking about all the exciting new things in the old world. Empire is a really interesting roster because it makes use of regimental and detachment units. When you look at the special rules attached to some units, they're either going to be able to be regiments or detachments, or in some cases, it can be both. When you write your army list, you decide which units are going to be a regiment, and then you attach detachments to them. Both regimental units and detachment units can take any of the options that they could normally take. However, as long as the regimental unit isn't fleeing, and the detachment unit's within three inches, they're going to be able to use the regimental leadership as their own leadership. When you're writing your army list, your detachment cannot have more models than half of the number of models in the regimental unit. Also, a detachment can only support one regimental unit. When you're deploying regimental and detachment units, the regimental and detachment units get deployed at the same time, and they must be deployed within three inches of each other. Detachments are able to benefit from psychology effects that are attached to regimental units. If a regimental unit has hatred, frenzy, immune to psychology, or stubborn, then those rules are going to apply to the detachment unit. As a third Thank you, the detachments are able to make supporting actions. If an enemy unit declares a charge against a regimental unit that's within three inches of its detachment, the detachment can make an action. They can either use supporting fire or supporting charge, and this is exactly what you would expect it to be. Supporting fire allows the detachment to quite obviously be able to make a stand and shoot reaction, as long as that detachment isn't in combat and follows the normal rules for standing and shooting. A supporting charge is actually quite an interesting reaction. After the enemy unit completes its charge, then a detachment can make a Supporting charge. This is an out-of-sequence charge resolved very much like a normal charge, where you're going to be able to charge at the unit that charged the regimental unit. I said charge a lot there. Detachments and regiments, honestly, not that complicated to think through. However, being able to use them well on the tabletop is going to be very hard. I think it's going to take a lot of practice to make use of how you're going to use these. However, having the right regiment make the perfect counter charge is going to swing the combat resolution of a battle very significantly. And so while very challenging to make happen, it's going to be incredibly rewarding if you're able to make it work. It's a little sad that outside of regiments and detachments that the Empire roster doesn't have any army special rules. Similarly, there isn't a special spell lore attached to this army as well. It very much feels like this is the cookie a standard army that you would expect to play in the old world. This doesn't mean it doesn't have some incredibly unique units. Steam tanks are a good example, some great artillery, some very good combat pieces, and some amazing monstrous cavalry. And I think this army, more than any, is going to benefit so much from an arcane journal. Being able to play a certain city-states in the future is going to make some really, really interesting army lists, and I'm very excited to read those when eventually they do come out. Let's look at the army composition for the Empire of Man. For characters, you can have one general or Grand Master of the Empire per 1,000 points in your army list. You can have one Lecter of Sigmar or High Priest of Ulric per 1,000 points in your army list. You can have multiple Captains of the Empire, Wizard Lords, Master Mages, Chapter Masters, Witch Hunters, Priests of Sigmar, Priests of Ulric, and Empire Engineers. And you can have up to one Altar of Sigmar taken as a Mount for a Lecter of Sigmar. For Core, you can have up to one unit of Veteran Troops per 1,000 points, and multiple units of State Troops State Missile Troops, Free Company Militia, Empire Archers, and Empire Knights. For special, you can have up to one unit of Inner Circle Knights per 1,000 points. Multiple units of Empire Greatswords, Pistoliers, Outriders, and Demigriff Knights. You can have up to three War Machines per 1,000 points, chosen from either Great Cannons or Mortars. For rare, you can have multiple units of flagellants, you can have up to one war machine per 1,000 points from the list of either a Hellblaster Volley Gun or a Hellstorm Rocket Battery, and you can have up to one steam tank per 1,000 points in your army list. One captain of the empire in your army can be upgraded to a battle standard bearer for 25 points and can take a magic banner with no points limit. Compared to some of the other chaos-infused characters and monstrous creatures, a simple general of the empire can in some ways look a little underwhelming. In fact, actually, that's probably the story of most of the Empire troops. However, the Empire narratively and also rules-wise is about the sum of its parts and not singular heroes. This is true for our General of the Empire. Toughness 4 with three wounds, comes with light armor, but you can upgrade it to have full plate armor because it only costs you six points. Add to the fact that you can give them a shield and we've already got a three up armor save general if we want, which is nice and it's incredibly cheap. We'll talk about mounts in a moment, but a barded warhorse, obviously, and now we have a two up armor save. and We haven't spent any points on magic items. In melee, three attacks at strength four and weapon skill five, with a variety of different weapon upgrades available. The special rules this unit has though, really showcase what this unit is meant to do. Rallying Cry being a universal special rule, allowing a fleeing friendly unit that's in command range to have a second attempt to rally. The unique special rule attached to this character, hold the line, allows this character and any unit that is joined, to automatically pass panic tests, you can mount a General of the Empire on a Barded Warhorse, an Empire Warhorse, a Pegasus, a Demogriff, a Griffin, or an Imperial Griffin. We're gonna to need to do a really big deep dive on which mounts you are gonna put your General of the Empire on. However, let's just get silly straight away and look at an Imperial Griffin. Mounted on an Imperial Griffin, your General of the Empire is gonna get plus one toughness and plus four wounds. This is gonna give us seven wounds at toughness five. The Imperial Griffin itself has got four attacks at weapon skill five and at strength six as well as causing terror, having stomp attacks for combat resolution, and being able to fly. Of course, susceptible to cannon fire, artillery fire, poison bow attacks, and many other things, a large target monster like this for a character is always going to be a little fragile. However, we have the option to upgrade to have lots of different magic items. And so while I understand burying a General of the Empire inside of a unit, it's not a particularly expensive upgrade to take what is a cheap based character and mount it on a big monstrous creature and run around the board smashing into units. You can You can also upgrade your General of the Empire to have lots of magic items as well. But as stated, this army roster is probably about the sum of its parts. However, being able to create a good monstrous creature that's going to run around and produce combat resolution and be very very fast is a nice addition to the army roster. The Captain of the Empire is the character you can upgrade to be your Battle Standard Bearer and you should just do this. It's 45 points plus 25 points for the Battle Standard Bearer. They bring along with them Rally and Cry and Hold the Line just like a general of the Empire would. Full plate armor and shield, and we have a survivable enough BSB that we can be happy to put them inside our front lines. And so far, I've avoided talking about magic items. I would like to deep dive them more, and we are going to talk about the magic items of the Empire in another video. But it's worth pointing out that this battle standard bearer can take the Imperial Banner. The reason I'm mentioning this is because I think it's going to be very effective for the Empire Force. All friendly units within command range of the Imperial Banner, are going to be able to roll 3d6 when taking fear, panic, and terror tests. Then you're going to be able to drop the highest dice this means that your army is going to be fairly impervious to fear panic and terror which as i've talked about in previous videos i think is going to be very very effective it's also okay to get a little bit weird with your captains and generals of the empire they're able to take pistols or braces of pistols and be mounted on pegasus pegasi pegasi So they can play the role of counter-charging units, war machine hunters or flank chargers. This army is going to work best when you're able to apply lots of buffs to the units. And the best source of this is probably going to be either your priests or more importantly your wizards. You can have a level 3 wizard lord, you can obviously upgrade to a level 4. It's toughness 4 which is nice with 3 wounds. A master mage is a level 1 wizard that can be upgraded to level 2 that's at toughness 3 and then has only got 2 wounds. Neither of these two wizards have any armor, and so survivability will be an issue. They have magical attacks, although please don't fight with them, and they have magic resistance 1, which means if you do put them inside of a unit, which I think is probably likely, you're going to have magic resistance 1 on that unit, which is good, especially for your level 4, because they're effectively dispelling at plus 5. The wizards have access to battle magic, demonology, dark magic, elementalism, illusion, and necromancy. I feel like when you're going to build an empire list, you're going to build the units that you want, and then you're going to go back to your wizard and then start to pick the spells that you need to improve how your army is going to play. The next character is for all you fans of Mounted Warfare. The Master of the Knightly Orders is a cavalry character. Comes in two versions a Grandmaster and a Chapter Master. The Grandmaster has got three wounds on Toughness 4. Heavy armour as base and able to be upgraded to plate armour can take a shield and can be mounted on either a Barded Warhorse, a Pegasus or very coolly a demigriff. The Grandmaster version can take 100 points of magic items and the Chapter Master can take 50 points. They have a fantastic special rule called Master of Battle. If the unit joins a unit of Empire Knights, Inner Circle Knights, or Demigriff Knights, then that unit gains the Immune to Psychology special rule. If the model leaves, obviously they lose the rule. But this is an amazing upgrade for those units. I think fear, panic, and terror are going to be major issues for some of your units, and you ultimately don't want them running away. These characters also have access to Rally and Cry. Character is stubborn on leadership nine, which is very solid, with counter charge and also first charge, meaning the first time this unit fights the enemy unit is not going to be able to gain a rank bonus. Ultimately, you're going to choose a cavalry unit that you want to be immune to psychology and put one of these characters inside of it. Are they necessary for those units? Is immune to psychology that much of a big deal? It really depends on what the meta looks like. Are people going to try and build lists that reduce enemies' leadership and then terror them away? We're not sure right now, but Empire having access to something that's going to be able to avoid that is excellent. It especially makes sense putting this in the unit of demigriff Knights. They're expensive models and you don't want a rubbish leadership test to ruin your unit. Witch Hunters have a unique role as characters in an empire army. You can craft them to be specialists to fight certain units. This obviously is a positive if you're playing a narrative campaign. However, if you're playing a game where you don't know who you're facing, this can be a real problem. Toughness 4 with two wounds, but only equipped with light armor. Obviously you can upgrade them to have 50 points of magic items. We can have a hand weapon, but we can upgrade to have a great weapon if we wish, or a bunch of ranged weapons. They're immune to psychology, which is pretty nice, and they have killing blow, which makes them a quite nice duelist character. Their special rule is suffer not. When you're writing your army list, you have to decide what your witch hunter cannot suffer and then you get bonuses against those certain units. If you can't suffer the witch then you gain hatred against wizards and you get magic resistance too. If you can't suffer the revenant then you get hatred against undead and flaming attacks. If you can't suffer the mutant, then you gain bonuses against the X-Men. No, not really. You gain bonuses against the Warriors of Chaos and Beasts of Chaos, and you get Magic Resistance 1. And if you cannot suffer the demon, you get Hatred against Demonic Models and Magical Attacks. If you're playing in an event, you don't know who you're going to be playing against. And so specializing into attacking only certain units might be a problem. However, those might be the most meta armies, or they might be your problem faction. So maybe actually specializing might really help. It feels like the witch is the most generic and easy option, getting a hatred against wizards, and magic resistance too. However, this special rule is the bane, intended joke there, of friendly pickup games. Knowing that your opponent is going to bring demons, or know that they're bringing warriors to chaos, and then specialising against them is the worst thing you can do. But fun for stories, fun for narrative inclusions in games, which is cool. Empire has access to two different types of priest characters. You have the warrior priests of Sigmar, and the priests of Ulric. Their stat lines are all the same. You either have a lector of Sigmar, who's got an additional wound, an additional attack and slightly more initiative than a priest of Sigmar. And a high priest of Ulric has got all of those bonuses over a normal priest of Ulric. The difference between these two different priest classes is the different buffs and bonuses you're going to be able to bring via prayers to your empire army. In the command subphase, a priest can encant a prayer by passing a leadership test. A priest of Sigmar has three different prayers it can encant. You can only choose one of these prayers to be chanted in the command phase. If you chant the hammer of Sigma prayer until your next start of turn subphase, This model, its mount, and a single friendly unit that's within command range when the prayer is chanted may re-roll to hit or to wound of a natural one made during the combat phase. This is going to be particularly effective for units that have lots of attacks or high weapon skill and high strength. That's because you get a greater return on investment when you're hitting on threes re-rolling ones than if you're hitting on fives re-rolling ones. If you chant the Shield of Faith prayer until your next start of turn subphase. This model and a single friendly unit that's within command range has a 5 plus ward save against wounds suffered during the shooting phase. This is good on your elite units and you want to keep them more survivable especially if they don't already have an inbuilt ward save and you can chant soul fire. A single enemy unit that's engaging combat with this unit suffers d6 strength 3 hits with an AP of 2. They have flaming attacks and the magical attacks special rule. So we have a prayer for defense against shooting, a prayer for making our combat much more effective, and a prayer for doing some small amount of damage. It feels like using a priest in conjunction with a wizard to really stack a bunch of buffs on units is going to be the way to go. Again, we could talk about those combos in another video, but I think that's the purpose of what we're going to see from one of these priests. You can also mount the priest. You can put them on a barded warhorse or an empire warhorse. And if you are taking a lector of Sigmar, you can put them on a War Altar of Sigmar. A War Altar of Sigmar is a Toughness 5 chariot with a 4-up armor save. It causes terror and has got magic resistance too. And if you get it locked into combat, it is stubborn. But what's great about the War Altar is it brings three special rules along with it. The first rule is Holy Fervour. As long as this unit isn't fleeing, Units within 6 inches automatically pass fear tests and can re-roll failed panic tests. I think at this stage we can see that most of the Empire Force is all about sticking around for as long as possible. Another special rule it has is symbol of might. If the lector is your general, then this is going to make the command range be 18 inches. The last rule is fairly devastating and it's called Witchbane. All wizards within command range, friendly and enemy, suffer a minus two to their casting rolls. In the right matchups against let's say a magical gun line or even an enemy that is trying to buff its troops, this is gonna come in clutch. However, as I've said, I think the Empire forces are going to be trying to stack a bunch of different buffs on top of each other and wizards are gonna be fairly key in order to do this. I guess that just means you're gonna have to charge this guy forward and debuff the enemy as fast as possible. If you take either of the Warriors of Priests of Ulrich, The first prayer is Battle How. Until your next start of turn subphase, when this model and another single friendly unit within its command range makes a charge roll, you can add a D3 modifier to the result. The prayer can only affect models whose troop type is infantry or cavalry. If you chant Winter's Chill, during the combat phase, if any attacks are targeted at this model, its mount, or the units it's a part of, they must reroll any natural 6s to hit. And if you chant Wrath of Winter until your next start of turn subphase, this model, its mount, and any unit that is joined gains the Multiple Wounds 2 special roll. All three will be useful in different situations. I do feel like multiple wounds too is going to be particularly effective if you can put this onto a cavalry unit. Seeing as you can mount a priest of Ulrich on a warhorse or an empire warhorse, I think you'll be able to make a pretty good monster hunting cavalry unit with multiple wounds too. Also effective into enemy monstrous cavalry as well. These prayers are pretty good and importantly, fairly reliable. And because your opponent can't do anything to stop you from getting those prayers off, this means that they're going to be slightly more consistent, obviously, than doing spells. Empire has got some great war machines and thank Hopefully, you can improve them by bringing an engineer in your army list. The most important effect this character is going to have is going to be on war machines. But before we talk about that, let's talk about two awesome other weapons they can take. The first is the Hockland Long Rifle, and that's a 36-inch range strength 4 sniper rifle. It's able to target characters in units as well and has got armor bane. This is a great addition to an army, being able to shoot champions out of units. Pretty cool. You can also equip them with pigeon bombs. Instead of making a normal shooting attack, you can release your pigeon bomb instead. You have to pick an enemy target within 24 inches and then roll a dice to consult the table. On a roll of a 1, you get the result bird brain. You must center a small 3 inch blast template over the model that released the pigeon bomb and any model whose base lies underneath it risks being hit with a strength 4 hit and an AP of 1. On a result of a 2 to 3, you fly away home. The pigeon just flies away and it has no effect. On a result of 4 or 5, then it's a dud. The target unit suffers a single strength five hit with an AP of two. However, on a roll of a six, you have a perfect delivery. Place a small three inch blast template so that the center hole is directly over the target unit. Any model whose baseline lies underneath risk being hit with a single strength four hit with AP one. This is obviously incredibly rubbish. Only one out of six times, will it be effective? Obviously taking as many engineers as I can, giving them all pigeon bombs and having a great day is something I want to do. Will it be effective? No. Will it sometimes work? Also no. Will I get to consistently consult the pigeon chart table? Yes. I'm in. Cloud of soot and smoke allows the engineer to be considered to be under full cover while within three inches of a unit with the war machine type. Seeing as the point of this unit is to be next to a war machine, basically they're always in full cover. The other rule, Master of Ballistics, is the reason you take the character. Unless fleeing or engaged, once per turn, a friendly Empire war machine that's within command range can use this model's ballistic skill or reroll a single artillery dice. Obviously, this is going to make your war machines that much more effective. 45 points for the character, 10 points for the Hockland Long Rifle. It seems like an easy addition to any war machines you're bringing along. Let's look at the core units for an Empire Army. The first core unit we're going to look at are Empire State Troops. This melee infantry unit comes in two different flavors. You have the basic Empire State Troops and you have veteran Empire State Troops. The basic difference between the two is you get plus one weapon skill for the veterans. They also, unsurprisingly, gain the veteran special rule. Both types of units, have both the regimental and detachment special rule, meaning either of the two units could be a regimental unit or they could be a detachment. Listen, these guys are very basic and very cheap. They come with hand weapon and light armor. Of course, you can pay a point per model to upgrade them or to have shields, but toughness three, weapon skill three low leadership of seven, and the ability to have at best a five-up armor save means this unit is not destined to always go toe-to-toe with the biggest threats out there. If you want, you can change up to having halberds or thrusting spears, and there's a great conversation for both. You can equip the entire unit with full command, and if you're going to take the veteran unit, they can have the drilled special rule, meaning they get to move after having done a redress, and the veteran unit can also take a magic standard up to 50 points. The state troops are a perfect example of a unit that needs either spells or prayers to make them that much more effective. Now, thankfully, obviously, you've got wizards and priests to do both of those two things. You can put characters into these units, and you can apply banners to make these units much better. And that's where the unit comes into its own, because the unit is cheap, per model. Five points per model means that when you start stacking spells and other abilities on it, you get great economies of scale. You can only apply a certain amount of enhancements and prayers to units in your army. So the question is, are you going to do this to Empire State Troops, or are you going to do something more effective like Great Swords? Either way, the leadership of seven is going to be an issue. You're going to need to put them near your general or put characters inside of the unit to increase that because I think fear and terror is going to cause a real issue for this unit. The next unit we're going to look at are State Missile Troops. They come base equipped with hand weapons and crossbows and no armor. You can pay points to give them light armor, and you can change their crossbows for handguns if you wish. Of course, the ability to take a full command, and up to one unit per thousand points can have the drilled special rule, and also take a magic standard. This is another unit that can either be a regimental unit or a detachment unit. I personally think this makes a lot of sense as a detachment unit. If you were to take a large unit of Empire State Troops as a regiment, and then some Missile State Troops as detachments, when that initial brick gets charged, you're going to be able to stand and shoot, with the detachment units. The whole time your opponent is running at you or also shooting at you from across the board, you're also gonna be able to return fire. However, they have low ballistic skill, they have low leadership again, but this does feel like it makes up the core of an army. Putting a wizard inside the unit and maybe even a BSB feels like you're putting more good points into what is fundamentally not a great unit, but it's cheap. You get three Empire State Troops for every Warrior of Chaos and six for every ogre. And some units and armies are just not actually going to be able to put out that many attacks. And so quantity will be its own quality. Talking about quantity being its own quality, we have the Militia. Free Company Militia are strength and toughness three at weapon skill three with no armor save. They do count as having two hand weapons and they can be taken as a detachment. This feels like the perfect counter charge detachment because of the two extra attacks. This unit is also impetuous, meaning that it might potentially charge off without you getting a say. But thankfully, if it does that and gets wiped out, it's a levy. Therefore, it's not going to cause any panic tests in other units around you. If you are able to keep them under control and use them to countercharge for your big regiment unit, then they're going to be able to claim an extra rank bonus thanks to being a horde. However, it's not going to be able to use the leadership of your general or be able to reroll any checks thanks to the BSB. But thankfully, being a warband, it gets to add to its low leadership, adding its rank bonus to the result. If you're gonna take some free company militia and it's a big if, I think you're gonna use them to be countercharging for a much more solid regiment. The next unit is Empire Archers. This is a skirmishing missile unit with Vanguard. You can, if you want, take them as a detachment, but thanks to the Vanguard and the fact that they can move through cover, and they have the great and very mobile skirmish formation. These feel like the perfect chaff screens for your empire army. The unit size starts really small as a unit of five, and they're equipped with war bows, so they're going to be able to at least harass the enemy a little bit before they inevitably get run down. The special rules for this unit are telling us to use these guys as a skirmishing screen, and the fact that they've got no armor lets me know that they're going to die very quickly. Our last core unit is a heavy cavalry melee unit. Let's talk about the empire knights. Still toughness three, as they're obviously humans, but weapon skill. Four meaning they're slightly harder to hit and they will hit easier. As base, they're equipped with heavy armour and shields, and they're on a barded warhorse, so they're going to have a 3-up armour save. You can equip them with great weapons or lances, have a full command and have a magic standard up to 25 points. One unit per thousand points can have the drilled special rule and the stubborn special rule. This is the most cookie cutter cavalry unit that you're going to be able to find. They have counter charge baked in, first charge for disrupting enemy ranks, and of course, Swift Stride. Lots of the enhancements and buffs that you would apply to one of the larger melee blocks, you could apply to a cavalry bus of Empire Knights. As a core choice for an army, they're fast, they have a great armor save, well, a great armor save for Empire, and they can be a great delivery system for characters. Being able to upgrade a core unit to Stubborn is also very excellent. So I don't really picture this the same as a Wild Rider unit that's going to charge in, but if it ever gets hit, it's going to die. Instead, I think it's going to be a unit that's going to fight and continue to do ongoing combats. I think Stubborn feels like an auto-include on this unit, Unit, and then potentially drop a general in there to keep helping with combat res. Let's go and look at the units in the special section. Seeing as we've just covered knights, let's talk about inner circle knights. Over our core knight unit, they've got an additional weapon skill and they've got an additional initiative. And instead of having heavy armor, these have got full plate armor on a barded warhorse with a shield. This immediately gives us a two-up armor save cavalry unit, which feels very effective. They also come in at base strength four, but we can upgrade this unit the same as the knights, giving them either great weapons or lances. You can take a full command, you can take a banner up to 50 points, and the preceptor, which is the captain of the unit, can take 50 points worth of magic items. They also have counter charge, swift drive for making those charges easier, drilled, so they're going to be able to move after a redress, first charge for shutting down enemy rank bonuses, and they're veterans, which is very good for a cavalry unit as they're going to be able to push outside of the inspiring presence of your general. They also have their own special rule, in a Circle, which is when engaged in combat, that the knight themselves may reroll hit rolls of one, but not the mount. This is an interesting unit because it's not really shot cavalry, and instead it's a particularly good anvil, which feels very odd to have on a cavalry unit. You can upgrade the unit to have stubborn, and considering they've got veteran, it feels like you could put this unit right out front to slow down enemy units. Well, Rob, I hear you cry. What then do I use as my shot cavalry? let's talk about Demigriff Knights. Demigriff Knights are a monstrous cavalry unit that I think are brilliant. Strength and Toughness 4, that Toughness 4 is important because as base they come with heavy armor, but you can upgrade to full plate, shields, and they are barded. So this is a two-up armor save unit. You can have full command, take a banner up to 50 points, and the preceptor in the unit can have up to 50 points of magic items. They have counter charge, Swift Stride, so everything I've said before, applies, and they also have First Charge. They also cause fear, which I really like. But the main strength of this unit, ignoring the 2-up armor save and incredibly fast cavalry body, is the fact that they do incredible output. The Knights themselves still have one attack each, with the Preceptor having two, and you can change either having lances or halberds. But it's all about the demigriff they rode in on. Three attacks apiece at weapon skill 4 and strength 5. Their Wicked Claw's combat profile is strength as user, but it's AP two. Even a basic unit of three is going to have nine attacks, strength five, AP two, and that is going to be absolutely brilliant for combat resolution. No bonuses to charge, that's just what they're going to be doing in every round of combat. And with that two up armor save and three wounds apiece, they're going to be incredibly tough to get rid of. This is also the unit that I would be applying many of my priestly and wizardly buffs to, to really make it even stronger. As if we hadn't talked about cavalry enough, we're going to talk about Pistoliers and Outriders. First unit we'll start with our Pistoliers. This is a light cavalry missile unit with delusions of being a melee unit. Weapon skill 3, ballistic skill 3, strength 3, toughness 3, some classic empire stats. One with a piece with heavy armour, so eh, survivable enough. They come as stock, equipped with a brace of heavy pistols. This has got 12 inch range, strength 4, AP 1 with armour bane and it's quick to shoot. And importantly, multiple shots too. They are only ballistic skill 3 and most of the time, I think you're going to be shooting over half range for a minus one, and doing multiple shots is going to add an additional minus one to your to-hit profile. However, thankfully, with the quick shot, you are still going to be able to move and not suffer a penalty to that shooting. Equipped with those brace of pistols, they actually give you an extra attack in melee. I know what you're saying to yourself, Rob, why the hell would I be charging my light cavalry unit into melee? Well, a flank charge might come up and it might be useful, but probably because they have the impetuous special rule, they're going to charge themselves. They have swift stride which is obviously going to help with those charges and in situations where you actually want to charge them they have counter charge they're a skirmishing unit so they're going to be able to be very mobile and nimble on the battlefield and if you can avoid them being impetuous i think you can see this unit moving to the back lines very quickly one unit in every thousand points can be upgraded to have the vanguard special rule add this to the mobility we've already discussed and you have a really aggressive first turn harassing unit they also have fire and flee so you could definitely use this unit to screen out the front of your army and shut down enemy charges. I think if it wasn't for the Impetuous Special Rule, this unit would be absolutely close to perfect for what you would want from a light cavalry skirmishing unit at the front of an army. However, the Impetuous Special Rule is just going to cause you a problem but also it's gonna create some amazing stories. So depending on how you like to build lists, pistolers are probably gonna be for you or probably not. Our other light cavalry missile unit are Outriders. Again, toughness three, heavy armor with one wound apiece. These are better shooters with ballistic skill four. Also a skirmishing unit, this unit has built-in vanguard. So everything I've just said about the previous unit applies here. If you like, you can upgrade to have a captain in the unit and they can equip themselves with a grenade launching blunderbuss. This is a 24-inch range weapon at strength 4 and AP 2. However, it's both cumbersome and ponderous. This means you can't use it in a standard shoot reaction, and also, if you do move, then instead of suffering the normal minus 1 to moving and shooting, you suffer minus 2. However, if the to-hit roll with this weapon is successful, you do D3 plus 1 hits to the enemy versus 1. I can't express how much a cumbersome and ponderous gun on a light cavalry missile unit is a terrible idea, and I can see you're all going to do it anyway. However, the entire unit is normally equipped with repeater handguns, These have got 24 inch range, strength 4, AP 1 They have armor bane, they're also ponderous However, they do have multiple shots 3 Now thankfully, this unit vanguards So vanguarding this unit, then in the next shooting phase Being able to shoot and not having counted as moved Is going to put this unit into a good position To really put their threat range in a place your opponent doesn't want At the beginning of the game They also have fire and flee So everything you wanted from the previous unit is in this unit Only they do not have delusions of being a melee unit I honestly could see taking multiple units of Outriders to screen out my army early in the game. Demounting off the horses and putting two feet on the earth, we're going to be looking at the excellent Empire Greatswords. This is a regular infantry unit, although I would obviously describe this as a heavy infantry unit for the Empire Force. Strength and Toughness 3 with one wound apiece, however, they're all equipped with full plate armor for a lovely 4-up armor save to start us out. They're all equipped with great weapons, hitting at weapon skill 4, but still with only one attack each. You can have a full command, and if you do take a full command, the champion can have magic items up to 50 points. One unit of Empire Great Swords for every 1000 points in your army can have the Drilled Special Rule and also the Veteran Special Rule. As standard, this unit has stubborn, and if you want, this unit can be a regimental unit. Infantry in the old world is fairly slow. It's very unlikely this unit is going to be able to charge before cavalry units charge it first. And so having a stubborn, good armour save unit in the Empire roster is great. Making it a regimental unit so that you can either have archers as detachments or counter-charging militia at the sides will make a really solid front line. However, I struggle to see what Empire Greatswords can do that demi Knights can't just do better, and the likelihood of wiping out the front rank of demi Knights versus wiping out the front rank of Empire Greatswords is much lower. But again, adding all of the different buffs that you can add onto this unit, whether it be from Warrior Priests or Wizards, might really elevate this unit to be something you want to play with. But maybe you don't need fast units because you have artillery. There is no easier way to make the enemy need to run towards you than having some artillery that you place at the back of the board to shoot at all of their big models. Don't even shoot their big models, shoot their little models. That's still going to make them want to run straight at you, otherwise you're going to be up on victory points over them. In the special section, you gain access to great cannons and mortars. It's really simple. A great cannon is very, very effective into enemy large targets, and a mortar is good into big bricks of infantry. However, I think you have a different return for both types of war machine. When you land a mortar on an infantry unit, they suffer the chance of being hit. This means you roll a dice for every model underneath the Templar, and then you also roll to see if you wound them. While I don't think it's gonna be rare to see big trays of infantry models knocking around the board, I think you're much more likely to see large targets. Whether or not those are characters on things like dragons, or it's just monstrous cavalry, All of these are problem units that a cannon is and most likely will always solve. Cannons are not as good as they once were, they only do D3 plus 1 damage now. However, the Empire Great Cannon is strength 10, AP 3 with Armor Bane. I think I'd probably always start an Empire list with three Great Cannons and then work backwards. They're just going to solve so many more problems and they're going to cause issues for your opponent. I've talked about this a lot in Age of Sigmar, but games of Warhammer or Wargaming generally are about tempo. If neither of the two armies on the tabletop have any long-range weapons, this means it's all about which units are faster and are going to be able to engage quicker to start attacking the unit. And obviously it's not that simple because the units attacking might be fairly light and the unit they're attacking might be very heavy and well defended. But when I have a missile weapon, I'm starting to do damage to you at range. That means the tempo is increased for you and it's decreased for me. I'm immediately activating in the game, whereas you need to move your models across the board to start interacting with me. Cannons put pressure and up tempo for your opponent immediately, so I would just always have three cannons. Maybe you could put a mortar in for spice, but I think cannons are just going to do the job way better. Did I also mention they shoot 60 inches? 6-0. Let's move on to the rare category for the empire but let's stick with our war machines. You can have either one hellblaster volley gun or one rocket battery for every thousand points in your army. The hellblaster volley gun is a giant machine gun. It shoots 24 inches at strength 5, AP 1 with armor bane 2. You shoot this in a very particular way. You roll three artillery dice when you want to shoot this weapon. The number of shots fired is equal to the result of all three dice. However, if you roll a misfire on one of the three dice, then you shoot all of your shots at minus one to hit. If you roll two misfires when rolling this, then you immediately consult the misfire chart. If, however, you roll three misfires, then you fire all 30 shots. All these shots are at minus one to hit, and then after they've been resolved, you immediately remove the Hellblaster from play. I love this. This is a great special rule. It's just narrative storytelling coming through as rules, and it's awesome. You're probably always going to have an engineer babysit a Hellblaster volley gun, but these things are going to rip through stuff. Again, this is just going to put a lot of pressure on your opponent to have to run towards you, and seeing as you know that's going to happen, you can have bricks of infantry and cavalry ready to charge at them. Talking about awesome narrative rules, the Hellstorm Rocket Battery has a great weapon profile. It can shoot between 12 inches and 48 inches and doesn't require line of sight. If it does hit, and the if's big, and we'll talk about that in a minute, then the three inch template weapon is strength three, AP one. The way you shoot this is you take three three inch blast templates, you place them all over a unit, and then you roll the artillery dice and the scatter dice. These templates always scatter. Even if you roll to hit, there's a small arrow. You move the template the number of inches that you've rolled, and then you resolve the template attacks based on how many models it's covered. Is this good? No. Is this hilarious? Yes. I'm not sure the restriction on one of these per thousand points is particularly necessary. I can see people wanting to take two of these in a two thousand point match, mainly because the idea of just placing six templates at random across the rest of the battlefield is very funny. This artillery piece also gets much worse as the game progresses. As units start to engage and you get caught up in combat, these templates are likely also to hit your troops as much as they are theirs. If there is a pro for this unit, it means that early in the game, your opponent might spread their forces so as to avoid being hit by the templates, but the template isn't that scary, you still have to roll to hit, strength 3, so it's just rubbish, but also like kinda awesome, I don't know why I did that, kinda awesome? Not ordering a Starbucks. Our last infantry unit for the Empire are Flagellants. Flagellants are a lightly armoured, insane, fanatical melee infantry unit. Toughness 3 with no armour, Flagellants have a special rule called Feel No Pain. This gives them a 6 up ward save against wounds that were caused by non-magical attacks and a 5 plus ward save against any wounds that were caused by non-magical attacks that are strength 5 or higher. They also have the special rule furious charge that gives them plus 1 attack in combat when they charge. They do have hatred though against all enemies and seeing as they're equipped with flails which are going to give them plus 2 strength on top of their strength 3 for the first round of combat, then you can probably get quite a lot of attacks out of this unit. However, they are impetuous, so they're just going to charge off on their own. But once they get there, they're unbreakable, so you have to kill all of them. They have the special rule, Fanatical Zeal, which allows a lector of Sigmar or a Priest of Sigmar to join the unit. That character then also gains the unbreakable special rule. And lastly, the unit is immune to psychology. An unbreakable brick of Strength 5 swinging nutters is amazing. These are the perfect unit to charge into the flank of the enemy if you can make it happen. And the AP2 on their flails is actually going to punch through some armor. And I guess your opponent is already going to be running at you because you're going to be shooting them with cannons. So they're good, I guess? I don't know. One of you out there is going to build an army of a lot of flagellants. So I'm glad they're restricted to the rare section because these are mental. Last but not least, we have the Empire Steam Tank. Now, I think it's fair to say bringing a tank to a swords fight seems a little unfair, but the Steam Tank is very expensive and is very unique. Toughness 7 with 10 wounds with a three up armor save. This unit is immune to psychology, is a large target, has both impact hits D6 plus one and also stomp attacks, all of which are gonna be happening at the excellent strength six. It causes terror, and once it gets locked in combat, which I'm sure it will, it is unbreakable. Those stomp attacks that it does are at AP 2 unless it's fighting a behemoth because the wheels cannot stomp all over them. Machinery in the Empire hasn't necessarily been fully perfected, and therefore the steam tank has the temperamental special rule. If you roll a one when trying to generate steam power, which is just something used for marching, but most importantly, if you roll a one when charging, then the pressure of the steam tank has reached dangerous levels, and you must choose one of two results. If you choose bang, the steam tank loses a single wound. If you choose Fui, I love that I'm saying this out loud. If you choose phwee, the steam tank halts immediately and cannot move again for the remainder of this turn. However, if you're on a double one for either the steam power or the charge, then you both lose a single wound and you immediately stop in your tracks. As discussed, the steam tank is going to be a real issue to get rid of in combat and you might well use it as an anvil in your army. And with its grinding attacks, you might be able to get some pretty solid combat resolution from it but it's also obviously a very good missile unit. It's equipped with a 24-inch Strength-A AP-2 cannon, and this causes multiple wounds d3 considering you already take three cannons in this army adding a fourth unbreakable one seems very good so it's got a steam gun which is a breath weapon template that's strength two with no armor saves allowed but ward saves and regen saves can still be made the steam tank is exactly the problem i talked about cannons needing to solve and while it's not necessarily going to kick out loads of combat resolution having a hybrid profile makes it expensive once it's locked into combat shooting is going to be more of a problem however it's 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 going to do a really good job of obviously pinning your opponent back. The Empire roster is really interesting. You have a range of different unit types which create a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. Multiple choices for cavalry mean that if you want to build a very fast army, you can do so excellent artillery choices are going to deal with lots of problems at range I mean your opponent is always going to have to be moving towards you. I think Demigryph Knights are going to stand out as a major threat to any army that is going to be coming across the board to fight you. And access to loads of different spell laws as well as being able to do priestly prayers are going to be able to help you increase the effectiveness of your melee blocks. I can't say right now I'm incredibly impressed by the melee blocks, but I think I need to put them on the table and really work out what they're going to do. I feel like I'm going to be able to generate a lot of combat resolution from rank bonuses and flags, but not necessarily a lot from the output of the units. I like all the options you can have for the General of the Empire and think that could play a role as a great counterpunch piece for an army when the opponent tries to run towards you. I think also Pistoliers and Outriders are going to play a really important role in early game harassment which I think is great and it's good that it's included in the army. Of course we've still got to talk about magic items, deep dive the spell laws that are going to be most applicable for this force and we'll do that in the future. I hope you've enjoyed this brief overview and I hope you've enjoyed all of these videos so far. Any thoughts you've got please do leave them in the comments, I'm really enjoying making these videos and I'm really hoping you like them as well. Also if you're thinking about collecting an Empire army I'd love to know what you think about the different units and how you're going to use them. And thanks very much for listening to The Squarebase Show. We'll see you soon.